So I heard some giggles from the choir area when my sermon title was announced. So I guess I will come clean and let you know that when my sermon blurb was due, I really wanted to watch Fiddler on the Roof. I still have not seen Fiddler on the Roof since I submitted that sermon blurb, but I will. It's on Amazon Prime now. Now, I love polity. I love polity. I met my current lover in a Unitarian Universalist polity class. I am writing a curriculum on polity. I think it is the bee's knees. I do not know that all of you feel as strongly about polity as I do. And that's all right. That's all right. I hope that my enthusiasm for polity will be infectious for each and every one of you. But just in case it is not, I'm going to make sure that you are paying attention. So when I ask you questions, I need you to respond. Give me a yes or a no if I ask if it makes sense. Does that make sense? There we go. And whenever I say congregational, I'd like you to repeat polity. Let's try that. Congregational? A little bit louder. Congregational? There we go. There will be a quiz at the end of this sermon. And I am not joking. <laughs> so when we think about polity, one of the really, really interesting things about it is that it comes from the same root as politics. But it is a term that is almost exclusively in common parlance designated for church governance. It comes from both Latin and Greek, and it means governance of the commonwealth. But in English, it really only talks about church governance. And the term covers a wide array of things in church life. It, it's talking about who can be the leaders, uh, both spiritual and administrative of a congregation, how one becomes a member of a congregation, if and which kind of belief tests are required for membership, how the budget is set is a polity question, who can make high-level decisions about the ministry, and who can remove others from membership or ministry in a congregation. These are all polity questions. And while we can talk about the organization and governance and other faith lineages, polity is a term that exclusively refers to denominations in the Christian heritage. So other, other faith traditions definitely have church organization or denominational organization. That's a real thing. But when we're talking about polity, we're talking about Christian lineage churches. All polities are grounded in the Christian Bible. They're all grounded in the Christian Bible. And while you can find terms that are used in Christian Bible from Hebrew Bible, all the polities that we talk about actually come from the letters of Paul. All of the congregations kind of read some of the epistles and they said, oh, Paul said this, we will do it that way. Actually, Paul said this, we will do it that way. Paul also said this, Paul said a lot of things. <laughs> a few of them I agree with. <laughs> and polity clarifies decision-making structures as well as who has decision-making authority. But further, each polity system encourages and requires members to affirm an all-encompassing understanding of the way the divine moves in the world. We'll get more to that later, but it's actually theological first and practical second. So there are three basic forms of polity. We already talked about them. There is Episcopal, Presbyterian, and Congregational. 
Good job. And each of these basic forms can be further subdivided to demonstrate some of the nuances of church governance, but for the most part, we're going to stay at the high level. We'll get into the weeds with congregational, but we'll get to that later. And each form is named for who has ultimate decision-making authority in that system. So the episcopacy refers to bishops, and so bishops have ultimate decision-making authority in episcopal polity. Catholicism, the Anglican or Episcopalian Church, uh, and the United Methodist Church are some examples of churches that are governed through Episcopal polity. Presbytere, on the other hand, is a Greek word that means elder. It means elder, and in Presbyterian polity, church governance is determined by a council of elders called a presbytery. And that includes both clergy and laity who are fully formed in their Christian identity. So there are multiple ways to be an elder in the presbytery, but it requires elders to make those decisions. Modern Presbyterianism most directly takes its expression from 16th century Scotland, but they actually trace their roots all the way back to the 6th century with St. Columba. But Contemporary Presbyterianism has a lot of different uh, varieties. It's not just Scottish, obviously. And when we're talking about Presbyterian polity, we're not only talking about the Presbyterian church. As a matter of fact, the Universalists, with their state conferences and uh, national conferences, had something a little bit more akin to Presbyterian polity. Uh, but it was not just elders. It was an elderhood of the collective, if that makes sense to you. Does that make sense? There we go. All right. So any church that has a consultative body that is higher than the church system itself, but does not consolidate power in just one final decision maker, that's a Presbyterian polity type of system. And finally, we have congregational. Oh, you're getting good at this. I'm liking this. And that refers to a system where ultimate authority for church governance rests wholly within the congregation. And there are two basic forms of congregational. There's non-denominational and associational congregational. Oh, I can't get tired of that. <laughs> so in the non-denominational form, um, it's the most extreme form. These are independent congregations. Now, what I want to clarify, though, is that non-denominational is more a term of art that it necessarily always refers to the church governance system. So there are some non-denominational churches that are so-called because they don't necessarily ascribe to a doctrine or a creedal test that lines up with one of the other major traditions. But they're actually in consortium with other non-denominational congregations, which means they're in fact practicing associational congregational. There you go. And then, of course, there is associational, congregational, there you go. And that is the form that the Unitarian Universalist Association practices, the American Unitarian Association practices, uh, the United Church of Christ, the American and Southern Baptists are both congregational systems, and the Mennonites are also congregational. Okay, so we've got that down. The primary difference between absolute independent free church congregational and associational congregational is that the congregations in those systems join together for specific missional purposes. 
right? Each association was about, okay, we want to make sure that we have better vetting of the uh, people who are going to come serve our congregations. We want some type of national body that does that. We want to organize more effectively for fundraising. We want to organize more effectively to get our message out in the world. We want to make sure that there are religious education resources in the prairies, all right, That's, that is one of the reasons that uh, both the Universalists and the Unitarians eventually uh, started to organize at a higher level. And I think you probably know this, and I was, I was texting with some friends earlier this morning about how preaching on the Cambridge platform in Cambridge is a bit meta, <laughs> but I take it you know it because it's in your bylaws, which I have read, <laughs> the form of associational, congregational that we practice comes from that platform, written in 1648. And we actually develop it, and I don't know if you know this story, because the Presbyterians and the Anglicans were giving us a run for our money on the fact that we weren't organized effectively. <laughs> and so we got really like intimidated and said, all right, let's, let's join together and figure out how we're actually organized. Like, we're all organized, right? So they get together, they hold this conference, and they produce this written document that is the Cambridge Platform and continues to inform some of the ways that we engage in congregational today. It included things like the requirements for membership in a congregation, who the partners in covenant are, the types of spiritual leaders in a congregation, and provisions for their ordination. Um, it also had the expectation of helping other congregations when they are in need. It also had a little bit about admonishment. If a, the neighboring congregation isn't functioning well, you need to tell them about themselves. But what the platform did not do, it didn't anticipate anything like the Contemporary Unitarian Universalist Association or even the American Unitarian Association, which wasn't founded for about another 200 years after that. It didn't even anticipate Unitarianism, uh, which we don't really get for another 150 years after that in the North American expression. So the, the form that develops out of our congregational roots as opposed to Transylvanian Christianity that is actually a different Unitarianism. We reconciled in the 19th century, but we don't actually believe the same things except about the oneness of the divine. They still have bishops. So all polity is grounded in different interpretations of the Christian Bible, as I was already telling you about. So while the terms are found in all sorts of different parts of the Hebrew Bible and in Christian Bible, and we can find analogs in different uh, faith traditions, church polity derives directly from references to the letters of Saul of Tarsus, whom we also call Paul. And in those letters that he wrote, both those that he did write and those that are merely attributed to him, Christian churches use it to justify rule by bishops, by a council of elders, which is called, oh, you're listening, I like that, all right, and the congregation itself, which is called congregational, oh, lovely, uh, all right, so these all tell us about the decision-making bodies that we have to have, uh, as well as membership tests for who qualifies to even make these decisions in the first place. Even the Cambridge platform attested that a belief in Jesus as well as a rigorous test 
what's required for entrance into membership in a congregation. They also said it shouldn't be easy to relinquish membership in a congregation because it's really hard to get it in the first place. It's an interesting fact, so don't leave lightly. It's not what we anticipated. <laughs> These differing interpretations of the writings of Paul are one part of what fuels the Protestant Reformation, of which Unitarians and Universalists are a part, and contemporary Unitarian Universalism finds itself an expression. All right, so, as I said, polity requires an all-encompassing understanding about the nature of the divine itself. While polity has practical aspects, and that's what we usually see and experience, it is theological first. So let's talk about Episcopal polity. So in Episcopal polity, we're asserting that God is the head of the universe. God is in control of all of this. And therefore, God's earthly representatives also have to be in charge of the church. So we have bishops to organize that who are direct earthly representatives of the divine. Presbyterian polity, on the other hand, asserts that the divine moves through those who are fully formed in their faith. Another term for someone who is fully formed in their faith is a saint. So if you see references to saints in uh, the King James Version of the Bible in particular, that's what they're actually talking about. Even the Cambridge Platform talks about saints. These are people who are fully formed in their Christian faith. And so those people have evidence that they are fully formed through their learning and also their sense of call. And so a council of elders needs to run the church because there are multiple people who can feel the divine moving, who are fully formed in their faith. And finally, in congregational, oh, we'll try that again. In congregational, we believe that the divine moves in every single member of a religious community. And so we must make decisions together. To state this in other words, in covenant with one another and with the divine, we can know divine will best when we decide together. We all have a piece of the truth, right? And so when we get lots of pieces of the truth, we can get more of the truth. It is unclear whether we ever get all of the truth, I don't really know about that. That's a different sermon. But we do know we get more of the truth when we decide together. So I already talked a little bit about the Universalists and they're something akin to a Presbyterian polity. They made a lot of decisions at the state and the national level. Most of their ordinations were at the state conference level and at the national conference level. And although they were actually allowed to ordain in their congregations, they usually chose not to. Uh, the Universalists were also pretty big into deciding who was and who wasn't in fellowship. They could disfellowship uh, Universalist ministers. They could disfellowship Universalist congregations. They would disfellowship Universalist congregations if they called non-Universalist ministers. And until 1914, you were able to be disfellowshipped as a Universalist minister for being ordained or in fellowship in another tradition. So they, they had a bigger understanding of both their power and where power flowed when they were together. But obviously, because we're talking about state conference level, national conference level, it took a lot of them 
a lot of them. So their understanding of the presbytery is a lot bigger than a, a Presbyterian presbytery usually is. When we move on to Unitarian Universalist congregational, as we're practicing it now, it's actually something quite unique and distinct from traditional Unitarian congregational polity and obviously the something akin to Presbyterian polity that Unitarian Universalists had. We believe at this point that the unit that can decide is the congregational system itself. All right, so we have the system itself. We don't actually have any beliefs about the people in the congregations right now. Think about the covenant of our principles and purposes. Who knows that preamble? Who wants to volunteer it? Go for it. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote. Who is in covenant? The congregations. Who are members of our Unitarian Universalist Association? The congregations themselves. I gave another sermon earlier this year about, so what does that mean about when we identify as Unitarian Universalists outside of a congregational affiliation? Is that actually even possible in our understanding of contemporary Unitarian Universalist polity? Again, different sermon. That's why I preached that sermon earlier in the year. We'll get back to that. So the smallest unit we even understand is a community. It's a community. The Cambridge platform understood members of the community. We don't anticipate members of the community, except for when we're talking about delegate votes. So let's talk about your expression here at First Parish Cambridge of congregational. As I said, I read your bylaws. They are, they are actually quite trim. I liked it. It was, it was a quick read. <laughs> it was a very quick read. Um, you say that you understand yourselves as being grounded uh, in the Cambridge platform, and you've continued to develop from there. Good job. But I was also, I was concerned. I was concerned at some of the things I saw, which are not unique to your congregation, about the nature of how the spirit moves in this congregation. I noticed that for a lot of your decisions, you only need a 66 or 2%, a two-thirds threshold. I don't remember anything in congregational talking about two-thirds of the spirit. That's, that's an interesting interpretation. You have a higher threshold for calling your minister than you do for selling the congregation. That's an interesting interpretation of how the spirit moves in this congregation. And you say that your decisions are made by Robert's Rules of Order, which we know is an intentionally racist system designed to make conversation in a large forum difficult. That, that's its purpose. You're not supposed to have those conversations out in the open. You're supposed to do them in committee um, or in smaller groups. That, that's what it's actually encouraging. That's, that's the double-edged sword of it, right? But that's an interesting interpretation of how the spirit moves that when you're together at meetings that you call together, 
you want to limit the types of conversations you can have. Whichever polity system you decide on, and we have already decided on congregational, we know that we need to know one another deeply and to truly live into our contemporary expression. We have to understand ourselves in ways that are bound in community. Again, our, our bylaws, our covenant of principles and purposes don't anticipate our individual needs. That's something we can only do on the congregational level for the purpose of helping other congregations live our mission out in the world. Make sense? All right. Quiz time. All right, we had three forms of polity. Name one of them. Oh, I heard all three of them. I heard, first one was Presbyterian, I heard. The next one was Episcopal. Congregational. All right. In a Presbyterian system, that is ruled by? Elders. Absolutely. In Episcopal polity, that is ruled by? Because Episcopal means referring to bishops. And in Congregational, that is ruled by whom? The congregations themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what is the assertion about how the divine moves in Congregational What's our assertion? Everybody what? Everyone has a piece of the truth. Everyone has a piece of the spirit. The spirit moves in and among us. You can phrase it a bunch of different ways. I am so glad you were all listening. I'm so glad you were all listening. So what we know from our form of polity is we need one another. If we don't have one another, we can't know the truth fully. We can't know the truth fully. We need one another because all of us need all of us to make it. The beloved community of which we speak about so frequently is about everyone being in covenant together. This is a practice lab. Sunday morning is a practice lab for being in covenant with the entire world. And being in covenant with the entire world is how we understand the ultimate. It's how we understand the divine. It's how we understand that which connects each to all. And so I implore you, I invite you, I delight you to go forth. Go forth and know one another. Know the people in these pews. Know the people outside of these pews. And remember that being in covenant with the entire world is the goal. It is the deepest expression of our spirituality as Unitarian Universalists. This is the deepest expression. And it requires diversity, tension, and togetherness. May it be so.